Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. As we continue our Story Time with Jesus series, this week Mike Holland teaches on Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, about how each of us have a sin debt we cannot pay, but God's grace through Christ has paid it all. We also learn the importance of being thankful in light of all that God has done for us. So I get the, the privilege, the honor to continue uh, what we've been doing. We've been going through parables of Jesus. We've been calling it Story Time with Jesus. So I thought the most appropriate thing to do was maybe to start off with a story of my own, <laughs> or a story of someone's. I'm also going to start my timer, or we might be here for a long time. So there's a man, and, and he runs into an old friend of his. He hasn't seen this friend for quite a while, and he can just tell when he sees him from a distance that his friend is just down. I mean, his lip is just about dragging on the floor in front of him. And he comes to his friend and says, oh my gosh, he embraces him with a hug and says, you know, what, what is so wrong? It's, it's obvious to me that there is something seriously, seriously wrong with you. And his friend says, let me tell you, it all started a couple weeks ago. I was walking through the parking lot, right? And I found a quarter on the floor, picked it up, put it in my pocket. And the man's like, yeah, okay, <laughs> that sounds horrible. And the guy says, just hold on, it gets, it gets worse. The week after that, I put on an old jacket that I hadn't worn in at least a year, reached in the pocket, found $100. And the man's like, okay. <laughs> it's still, it doesn't sound like, I don't, I don't get it. The guy says, it gets even worse. Last week, I bought a lottery ticket, and I won $200,000. And the man, he looks at his friend and says, I'm not understanding why you are so sad. And the guy goes, this week, nothing. (laughs) So today we're talking about thankfulness. This parable that we're going to go through is all about thankfulness and about what it looks like to truly have a thankful heart. It's really easy, especially when we know we've been blessed. Maybe we've, we've grown up in the church, like, like one of the main characters in our story. We're used to the love and the grace of Jesus, and it's not, there's not a shock and awe. And for some of us, or for all of us, when we had that moment, if we've had that moment, that we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior... There is definitely a moment of thankfulness. We realize who we are and who he is and what he's done for us. So the, the parable that we're going to be going over today is Jesus' parable of, of two debtors. And we're going to see that, that one of these debtors was forgiven much and loves much and was thankful much. The other debtor was forgiven little and loved little and was thankful little. Now, to me, when I was going through this, some parables jump, jump out at me. I go, oh, yeah, that's me. That, that character, that, that part of the story, that's aimed specifically at me. For, for this one, not so much. I was a little bit torn trying to figure out what character I was in the parable, trying to figure out what character I'm most related to in this passage of Scripture. And before I actually read it, I want to just give a little, a little scene setup. For, for the passage that we're going to read. There are three main characters that, that we're going to read about. The first one is a Pharisee. 
His name is Simon, and outwardly he was upright, he was a good man, he was a respected religious leader. So as a Pharisee, he would have attempted very hard to keep the laws of Moses. He would have fasted, tithed, he would have prayed at least three times a day. He would have never missed uh, a time to be in the synagogue. And his relationship with Jesus is, is questionable. It's, it's formal. He's not sure who exactly Jesus is. And, and he's, he's, he's trying to figure that out. But his relationship with Jesus at this point, it's distant and it's a little bit cold. Then we have a sinful woman. She's not given a name. I think that Luke left her name out if, if he was aware of her name, just for her own protection. Most likely, she was a prostitute. She was for sure notorious in her town. People knew who she was, and they knew what she did. And she was openly living a sinful life. But we'll read in, in this passage that this woman seems like she knew who Jesus was. Or she at least had decided that she knew who Jesus was. And the third main character is Jesus himself. And the question that's kind of circling all throughout this passage is, who is this Jesus? Now, he had been teaching. There was definitely some, some buzz around him. Right before uh, this passage we're going to read, John the Baptist's disciples had gone to Jesus asking him that same question. Who are you? Are you this one who's, who's to come? And the, the last thing I want to mention is that this parable that Jesus says is specifically for Simon. So as we, as we read, I'm going to read Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. And just as I read this, just kind of on the surface, try to maybe think for yourself, who do you relate more to in this scenario? The sinful woman or, or the Pharisee? One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not repay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet. With her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, 
But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. As I was reading through this the, the very first time, the thing that kept sticking is like, how do you stand behind someone at their feet and they don't you know that you're there and you're not acknowledging you? So I just want to start off. At that time, <laughs> this is the way to teach, right? <laughs> if, I was, if, I was, if I wasn't nervous before. So at that time, during these dinners, it would have been common for, for the people who are involved in the dinner to be reclining on their right on some pillows with their head faced in towards the table. So they're having this very intimate discussion. So someone could come up to your feet and stand there without you at all acknowledging that there was a person standing at your feet. And it was common in those days for a Pharisee to invite another religious teacher over to their house for supper so that they could have good theological discussion. And I think that's exactly what Simon was looking for. So there's some buzz around this man, Jesus. This should be interesting. We can talk, we can have deep theological discussions, and for the people of the town, it would have been exciting for them, because it was kind of an open-door policy. It was such that people could come, and they could participate in the dinner as part of a gallery. So we say, we have a common saying, oh, I wish I could be a fly on the wall. Well, they were actually allowed to be a fly on the wall. They could come and they could sit and they could listen, thinking, oh, I'm going to glean something from this deep uh, conversation that's going to happen with these teachers at at the dinner. So, in in using this passage, I want to try to unpack what it is, what it looks like to have a truly thankful heart. Because that's that's what this woman has, this sinful woman. She had a truly thankful heart. So the three things that, that I take both from the passage itself and from the parable, they're three very simple truths. They may be three very familiar truths, but they're deep and they're profound. The first one, if you want to go through them uh, with me in your bulletin, the first one is you must realize your great debt. What is the first step to recovery? Anybody? Admitting that you have a problem, right? You have to realize that you have a great debt. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Another way to say this would be, everyone is unrighteous. So, Do you yourself have a debt? Do I have a debt? I don't know. Ask yourself, are you a part of everyone? Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, 
If you have ever sinned, and or if you are a part of everyone, there's a debt. You have a debt. I have a debt. Simon had a debt, and this sinful woman had a debt. Now, this woman would have definitely been familiar with the teaching of the Pharisees. And their teaching was that the way to God is to keep the law, to keep Sabbath regulations, and there's a lot of them, to avoid ceremony, ceremonial defilement. And these teachings would have offered this woman no hope. All they would have done is added to her condemnation because she was openly living this life of sin. But we also know that somewhere along the line, she became aware of Jesus' teachings as well. Maybe she heard him speaking, or maybe she just heard people speaking of what Jesus had been teaching. But when I read verses, what Jesus says to her in verses 48 and 50, where he says, he says to her, your sins are forgiven. And he also says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I don't believe these were first-time teachings. The only words that we know for sure that Jesus said to her, but they sound a lot more like words of assurance. So maybe she heard Jesus say that he had not come to call the righteous, but, but sinners to repent. Maybe she had heard of a woman who was caught in adultery and brought before Jesus, and Jesus said to her that he was not going to condemn her and to go and sin no more. But we need to realize that we have a great debt. But that, that's not really something to be thankful about, to truly, to truly be thankful, to have a truly thankful heart. We need more than that. And we must realize our utter inability to repay our debt. So this woman, she's heard Jesus' teach her. She's heard of Jesus' teachings. And she thinks to herself, this man offers me hope. I believe that she repented of her sins and she trusted in her heart that Jesus was who he said he was. That Jesus did offer her hope. And I believe that this all happened before she came to Simon's house that day. And she came with a plan. The scripture says when she heard that Jesus was going to be at the house, she came to the house. She had a plan. She planned to slip in, anoint Jesus' feet, and probably slip right back out. She knew that she was not going to be welcome. She knew that Just like when she was walking down the street, women were going to glare. Men might giggle. Maybe a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Know what I mean? Know what I mean? Say no more. But she knew that was not where people were expecting her to be. But when when she gets there, she's standing at the feet of Jesus, and she is just overcome with emotion. Tears begin to stream down her face. And they're falling on Jesus' feet, wetting him, each tear turning a dusty foot into a little mud drop and another mud drop. And his feet are becoming wet. Now I believe that that was not part of her plan for a couple reasons. One, 
The reverence that she seems to have for Jesus, she would have expected that a Pharisee would have offered Jesus water to wash his feet. And she didn't bring a towel. (laughs) So I believe that that was not part of her plan, but that was her raw emotion. She was overcome when she was standing at the feet of her Savior. And Simon is sitting there, eyes probably bugged out of his head like a cartoon, thinking, why would Jesus, if he was a prophet, let this woman anywhere near him? Let alone, she's, she's at his feet, she's kissing his feet. This is all wrong. And Jesus begins to tell Simon a story that he says, I have, I have something to tell you, Simon. And he tell, he's talking about these two debtors. And one of the points Jesus is making is that, Simon, there are two debtors. One owes much, and one owes little. But both of them are unable to repay their debt. They are both bankrupt. There is nothing they can do. The moneylender can do with them whatever he pleases. Simon is busy looking at himself as I feel like I far too often look at myself as, well, I'm changed. I'm reformed. I'm no longer the person that I was. There's not maybe as much to forgive. A while back, um, I was with the family. We were down at Cabrillo Beach, and there's a buoy that's out there that people like to swim to. I don't know why it's very hard. But I had never swam out there. My mom's here. She swims to it all the time. Was it about, is it like a quarter mile swim? Something like that. So we're sitting there on the beach, and I think to myself, you know what? I want to swim out to that buoy, only because I've never done it. And we were there with the mains, uh, Bill and Christina and Luke. And I tell Stephanie and, and the mains, hey, you know, I, got, I think I want to swim out to that buoy. And they all had the same response. Yeah, that's a really bad idea. <laughs> and they're asking me, why? Why do you want to swim out to that buoy? I was like, just because I've never done it before. I think, I think that would be cool, and I'm, and I'm here. So I start doing some stretching, thinking, oh, if I cramp, I'm probably going to drown. And I'm wading out into the water, and I kind of turn around to wave my last goodbye. And I notice that the lifeguard does one last scan of the beach, and he gets out of his tower, and he's going home. So, okay, there's definitely no one to rescue me, but I'm, gonna, I'm already wet. I'm going to go for it. So I start swimming, and I'm doing the cool guy swim. My head's out of the water. Start to fatigue, drop my head in the water, and finally I like, I better just go to the breaststroke. I need to have enough energy to get back. And I get out to the buoy, and I touch it, and I come around, and I'm feeling pretty good. And I'm swimming, and stroke, stroke, and then feel myself getting pulled back towards the buoy. oh stroke, 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 and I'm getting pulled back towards the buoy. When I was swimming out, I didn't realize that there was a very strong riptide that day. And when I started swimming, I was thinking about things like, oh, I hope a shark doesn't eat me. <laughs> or I hope a diaper doesn't float by because it was Cabrillo Beach. <laughs> and those, those thoughts all kind of went out of my head, and I started getting consumed with the thought of, oh, so this is how I die. <laughs> Waves are coming past me, and I'm losing the sight of my family on the beach. I could tell Steph's sitting up a little tall, like, I don't know if he's getting any closer or not. 
And every time I lost them, I thought, oh, this, I'm not going to make it. I was so tired. My eyes were burning. should have had goggles. I probably shouldn't have done it in the first place. I drinking this salt water. But I didn't think that I was going to make it. Obviously, I did because I'm, I'm here. No one had to rescue me. I finally, very embarrassed, made it and crawled up on the shore and kissed the sand. Um, <laughs> but if I was fairly close to the shore in 50 feet of water, knowing that I was going to drown, I'd given up. I had, if I had no more energy and I just resolved to, yep, I'm just going to go down. And I turned around and saw another man all the way back out at that buoy in 500 feet of water. And as I'm drowning, gurgling, thought, <laughs> at least I'm only drowning in 50 feet of water. That guy's drowning in 500 feet of water. That would be ridiculous. It'd be equally as ridiculous for the man drowning in 500 feet of water to look at me and say, oh, if I could only be like him, if I could only drown in 50 feet of water, that'd be great. But the fact of the matter is, both of us would have drowned. Both of us would have died. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It's not, it's not about how big your debt is. There is a debt and you cannot repay it. And that's what matters. And it's a heart issue that Jesus is pointing to. So we need to realize that there's a great debt. And we need to realize that we have an utter inability to pay the debt. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We cannot repay our debt. And again, with those first two points, that's not quite something to be thankful for. We've got a debt and we can't repay it. But the third point's where it gets good. We need to trust totally in his grace to forgive. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. This woman enters the house, and all eyes, except for Jesus, are on her. Eyebrows are raised. Judgments are being cast. People are nudging, maybe laughing, maybe throwing some nasty words as she's walking by them, trying to get through the crowd. And she stops at Jesus' feet, and tears are pouring from her eyes. And... She drops down on her knees. She undoes her hair as if it wasn't bad enough that everyone was already staring at her. She lets down her hair, which was not what you do. And she uses her hair to dry off Jesus' feet, to finish the washing. I think Pastor Kenny would say at this point, hashtag wet hair, don't care. But she lets down her hair and she, and she dries Jesus' feet. And she is so loving Jesus that she begins kissing his feet. She doesn't just kiss his feet. She continues to kiss his feet over and over and over. And it would be easy for us in this day and age to, to take that as something that is too intimate. But especially considering her 
likely profession. But in those days, kissing the feet of a person, especially a religious leader, was a sign of deep reverence. And that act would not have been uncommon. The question that Simon has isn't, why is someone kissing Jesus' feet? It's, why is Jesus letting that woman kiss his feet? And she opens her bottle of perfume. And just in case there was anyone who had missed the fact that she was in the room, that aroma fills up the room. And now for sure, all eyes are on her. And she doesn't care. She just wants to show Jesus her love. And she anoints his feet with oil. Jesus, knowing the heart of Simon, offers comparisons between Simon himself and this woman. Jesus says, when I came into your house, you didn't offer me water for my feet. But she washed my feet with her tears and dried my feet with her hair. When I came in, you didn't embrace me. You didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the moment I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. And you didn't offer me an anointing on my head when I came into your house as a guest. But she has anointed my feet with oil. Verse 47 says, Therefore... I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Now, Jesus is not saying here that her sins were forgiven because of how much she loves Jesus. He's saying that her love for Jesus, her overwhelming thankfulness, is evidence of her forgiveness, which came first. And he follows it up with, he who is forgiven little, loves little. The issue here with Simon is the way that he views himself. When Jesus says, do you see this woman? Yeah, I see her. I've been nervous since the moment she walked in. Jesus starts sharing his parable. There are two debtors. One owes much, one owns little. Simon's saying, yeah, she's at least ten times worse than me. He's not getting it. He's not getting that he has a debt. That he has an utter inability to pay his debt. It doesn't matter that he looks at himself and sees the debt as being small. That's not the issue. It's not about how we see ourselves. It's about the fact that we are debtors and we do have a sin or a debt that we cannot pay for. And we need to trust totally in Jesus' grace to forgive. This woman is worshiping Jesus. She is worshiping at his feet. She loves much. She knows that she was forgiven much. And she's thankful much. I think for myself, far too often, 
I know that I am forgiven much, but I'm thankful little. Because every day I am blessed by Jesus. Every day I wake up and I have a loving family. I have a loving God. And it's so easy, like the story we begin with, to say, oh, but this week, nothing. Today, nothing. It's 7.30 (laughs) a.m. I woke up. That's something. I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb. That's something. So I challenge you as you go on throughout this week just to to remember that there is a debt. Scripture tells us that just because we know that, that we're forgiven, should we go on sinning just so that grace can abound? And the answer is no. If you are living an awesome life, if you are just rocking it, good. Keep doing it. But there's still a debt. And you still can't pay it. And I still can't pay it. And we need to trust fully that Jesus has paid that and accept the gift. It's a gift. It's a free gift. But a gift that has not been accepted doesn't do you any good. So why, why would any of us be thankful for a gift that we haven't chosen to receive? So let's be thankful as we go throughout this week. I want to invite the worship team back up. And as they come up and prepare to lead us in our closing worship, I want to share with you a few things that I took from this passage of Scripture that is directly related to worship. Because what this woman is showing us is an example of great worship because of her great forgiveness, her great love, and her great thankfulness. The first is that worship is for sinners. Jesus makes no bones about this woman being a sinner. He doesn't say it's okay to sin. He points it out, yeah, she's a sinner. She has sinned much. Her sins are great. But worship is for sinners. As sinners, we fall at the feet of Jesus and worship him. Worship takes place at the feet of Jesus. Not just in this story. The book of Revelations tells us that the day will come that men will fall at the feet of Jesus and worship him. Worship is preoccupation with Jesus Christ. Laser focus. This woman is an amazing example of that. She walks into a room where there's laughter, there's scorn. She knows she's not wanted there, but she has laser beam focus on Jesus. She knows what she's there for. She knows she's there to worship at the feet of Jesus. Worship is not concerned with receiving. I don't want you to mishear me, because when I worship Jesus, I get a lot. (laughs) It's the nature of realizing who I am, where I am, who Jesus is, and what he has done for me. And when I worship him, 100%, I get a lot. But worship isn't concerned with receiving. It's about offering our love to our Lord and Savior. 
Worship involves the emotions. I've got to be honest, I'm surprised I didn't cry. Anyone who was at the men's breakfast will know that I am a person of, of raw emotion. I feel like I am similar to this woman who just bawled at the feet of Jesus. Because it's easy for me to be raw. The word tells us that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our mind and with all of our strength and with all of our soul. So worship involves the mind, but it also involves the emotions. Worship can be without one word. There's a lot going on in this passage, a lot being said. But Luke doesn't tell us that this woman ever had any words to say. She was there, she was worshiping, but without one word. And last, worship is not easily hindered. And to me, this is super tricky, because like I said, sometimes I'll wake up, what a bad day. I've only been awake for three seconds. (laughs) Maybe I stubbed my toe. Maybe my alarm didn't go off. But far too often I am hindered easily. Maybe I never heard the song before, and I'm sitting there with my hands in my pocket saying, I can't sing with this. I don't even know the words. But worship is a matter of the heart. It's not about hitting all the right notes. It's not about knowing all the right words. It's about being in the presence of Jesus at his feet and offering your love and showing your thankfulness. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.